Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 327 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We got some video. We got some clues. We got a little bit of evidence about what next year's, the 2021-22 Blue Devils, are going to look like because the team did a scrimmage. Duke Blue Planet recorded it. They claim it's uncut. It's not uncut. <laughs> There's some editing. But, it, but a lot of it is uncut. It's not just, you know, nothing but straight highlights. And I think it gives us some real insight, at least into where these guys are as we are here in early, mid-July, you know, still some three, four months ahead of the, the real start of the season. And we're going to break it down for you. All the stuff we saw that was interesting, all the stuff that's worth commenting on, especially as it relates to the newest Blue Devils, the, the freshmen who are coming on campus for the first time that um, will be a huge, huge part of Coach K's final season. Before we get to all that, time for introductions. Donald Wine is here with me today. Donald, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. I am here in Kansas City for the week uh, watching some soccer. So this is why I, if Jason can see my setup is vastly different than it normally is. But <laughs> one thing that is always certain for us, death, Texas, and during the summer, breaking down an insane game film uh, from practices and treating it like it's a real game. We're really good at doing that. Yes, yes. And, and unfortunately, by the way, Donald said, I didn't say my name. I'm Jason Evans. He's Jason. <laughs> He's Donald. Sam, Sam Klein could not be with us today. Sam has a, a, a job that makes him very busy at times. And he just, he's not able to join us right now, but that's okay. Because Donald and I have scrutinized this video and, and are here ready to tell you everything you need to know about it. Donald, uh, uh, let, let's start with this. I think we have to talk about Paolo Bencaro, first of all. I mean, E5, <laughs> e as they call him, it, the man can do it all. He, uh, wow. I was going to lead with him, and I'm glad we're starting with him. It's clear that he's the best player on the floor. It, it, it's great to see just, and it's so smooth how he's doing stuff, right? He can hit a three. It looks like it's the greatest three that's ever been shot. He can dunk, he can pass, he can dribble, he can, you know, find his teammates. Or just set, I mean, he had some where he was even setting up his teammates. And on defense, I know you saw this, Jason. A lot of the times we'll talk about another guy that was doing that I thought was one of the best guys on the floor and Mark Williams. We saw Paolo Bencaro guarding him quite a bit during this video. And and playing really good defense. He blocked multiple shots. There were, there was one sequence where he he blocks a shot, grabs his own rebound, takes it the other direction, leads the fast break, and passes to to a wide open teammate for an easy bucket. Uh, you said the word smooth. That's also the word that I, I, you just can't help but look at this guy and think he just looks so smooth. He played a lot on the wing, even though he's got, you know, center post player size, he displayed really good handle. He is a incredibly smart passer when double teamed. He seemed to hit shots from everywhere on the floor, Donald. I mean, you know, everywhere, I, everywhere. He, he was hitting threes. He was also perfectly willing to take you know, mid-range jump shots and in the post, just great touch around the basket. I was struck by how quickly he seemed to score when he got the ball. There's no indecision. There's no waiting for a play to develop or stuff, stuff like that. The moment he gets it, he knows what he wants to do with it. And he could get from the wing into the lane in the blink of an eye. In short, he looked like what you expect the number one pick in the NBA draft to look like. And the experts say he could very well be at this time next year, the number one pick in the draft. But before then he gets to play some for Duke and God, it's just, he's, he's a special player. There's two types of players, right? There's one player who can take what the game is giving him and kind of react to it. 
there's guys that go after it and they try to create something out of nothing. He's able to do both. Like it wasn't, he didn't, it didn't feel forced during that. I mean, it's a 13 minute video. None of his movements appeared forced. He took what the game was, was giving him. And then he created with, he used that to create something out of it. And to be able to combine those two traits is, is not something that you see every day. And that is going to be an important, especially for this team where you can kind of see, this is a guy that you can go to, not just to shoot, not just to play defense, but also pass and create something out of nothing. And having his teammates obviously having the stroke to you know hit the shots is one thing, but he's putting people in great positions for them to take easy open shots. And again, that's what you want to see is an offense where it's very efficient in how you create those shots and it's easy to knock them down. So the, the video starts, by the way, with Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach um, shooting to see who's going to get the first pick. Those, those guys are the two captains, so to speak. Not that they are officially the team captains. They might be. But uh, in fact, Wendell Moore, I would absolutely expect, will be named a captain. Unless Coach K does that crazy thing again this year where he do- has a team leadership, whatever the heck that was last year that was a sorry excuse for not having a captain. Anyway, they are the guys who are, who are picking their teammates for the five-on-five scrimmage. And, and of course, the way it always is, the way you figure out who gets the first pick is you know who who hits the shot and then the other guy misses it so they take a free throw then they take a three then they take a three from the corner then they take another three they're doing nothing but hitting their shots which was a lot of fun we never saw who ended up hitting the um you know making more shots than his opponent between Moore and Roach but I'm going to go ahead and guess that it was Wendell Moore because he played with Paolo Bancaro and I am sure that Paolo was the first pick in the draft for those for those Blue Devils and and that second pick, uh, a guy that I want to talk about is Mark, Mark Williams. Williams. Yeah. yeah, that that guy. I mean, it, it was clear once it was like, oh, you know, all these all these shots are going down. All of a sudden, you just go straight to scrimmage. You're like, oh, okay. So I see how this draft kind of snaked its way through. Yeah, and and regarding Mark Williams, um, it looked to me, and others have commented on this, looked to me like he's put on some weight and some muscle. He did not look nearly as thin as he did last year. It, it, no loss of speed, by the way. Still, still seems every bit as quick and bouncy and everything like that, but but it's clearly bulked up some, which is something that he needed to do. Um, he seemed to me much more confident with the ball in his hands. He he was willing to dribble. Um, he, he was passing some. I, I'm not sure if he hit a three pointer. He definitely hit a shot from far out on the wing. It might. I'm calling been. it a three. I saw yeah. it. Uh, it looked like a three. So I'm calling it a three. Yeah, and and he uh, there was another play where he took about a, a 15 to 18 foot jumper. He missed it but he was clearly very confident taking it. These are not the kind of shots he would have taken a year ago. Um, Look, I'm not, I don't want to go too crazy and get too excited about Mark Williams going outside. He needs to be in the lane (laughs) and he was drifting outside a good bit on this video, but if he can, you know, perhaps draw opposing big man, big man away from the basket a little bit, that could be valuable, could clear out space for Paolo. Um, it, it was just good to see Mark Williams having more variety to his game and yet still being that same imposing force in the middle. There are a number of times that guys threw lobs and Mark Williams was finishing them every single time the way he did all of last year. Yeah, it was nice to see that. And again, I think going back to what you were saying about him kind of drifting out a little bit, I think that's important to have. He doesn't be, need to be the best at it, but he needs to be enough where it can keep defenses honest when he does go out of the paint, 
because again, like you said, you want to draw that big man of the, of the opposing team outside of the paint. So our guys have a lot of room to create inside. So the fact that he can not only finish inside, but also, you know, draw him out. We're not talking about the three point lane, but maybe to 10, 15 feet that clears a guy out of the lane, or at least makes it where they are two steps away from being able to defend someone who's creating inside the paint instead of just one. And that's what you need because that's going to, you know, spread everything out and make defenses have so many holes that guys like Paolo Bancaro, and we'll talk about a couple of the other guards, they'll be able to slice through that really easily. One of those guys is AJ Griffin. And that's what I want to talk about next. Yep. But before we get to him slicing through the middle, my, my man can defend. I, I saw uh, there's one segment on this tape about uh, it's about four or five minutes in where AJ Griffin um, is guarding Jeremy Roach on one possession and literally on the next possession, he's guarding Paolo Bancaro. Um, I, I was just like, wow, the fact that this guy is able to, to guard one of the biggest dudes in the floor and one of the smallest, quickest guys in the floor. And, and he's, he's getting low. Um, and, and by the way, he wasn't guarding those guys because of switches or anything like that. That was who he naturally matched up against. But like I said, he's, he's getting low. He's getting wide. You can see in his eyes, he's really an engaged defender. Um, you know, there's a ton of effort on the defensive end for him. And, and man, he looks, he's just chiseled. Uh, he, he's a kind of guy where you just look at him and, you, and you're like, well, this, this dude is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Really nice shooting stroke, I thought, as well, both standing still, and he had a couple shots off the dribble, including a three that he took off the dribble that I thought looked really, really nice. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, showed an ability to take it to the hole. The, the, you know, I, I mentioned the, the word that I saw that I felt from Bancaro was smooth. The word that I felt from Griffin was versatility. Uh, just looked to me like a guy who's going to do a lot of things really well. And man, he and Paolo are just going to be a problem for the opposition I, I can't wait to see them in real game action. I like that they were going up against each other and practice that competition. They're not, they're not going to be competing for spots on the floor, right? Like they can both start in any starting five, but the fact that they are not take, you know, turning down competition against each other, that's only going to make the two of them better. And, and like you said, the versatility that he showed was incredible. His, his shooting stroke is fantastic. And we heard a little bit about that about how he was going to be a really silky smooth shoot, uh, shooter. But it was great to see it, in, you know, at least via video for the first time. I can't wait to see it in person uh, this fall. So the other five-star freshman for Duke is Trevor Keels. And, um, and I want folks to understand, we are not here just to look at everything through rose-colored glasses. I'm going to tell you that I thought Trevor Keels didn't look very aggressive out there. Um, he played some point guard. I thought his handle looked good. His passing looked fine. Um, but he he didn't do all that much, in my opinion. Uh, when he took shots, they looked they looked they looked good. And, and and he's you know somewhat somewhat like Griffin. He's got a chiseled body. He he looks really good out there. But I I just didn't see the same aggression and confidence uh, from him that I saw from some of those other freshmen. What what do you think of Trevor Keelstone? See, I disagree for this reason, and I'm going to push back slightly. I thought I saw a lot more from him because I was focused more on him as a ball handler, because on the court, we want to have a lot of guys that can handle the ball at times. I know Jeremy Roach is going to be the point guard, at least for this group. You got Jalen Blakes, who's a point guard, but Trevor Keels is going to be called on to bring up the basketball too. And I thought he showed like size and, and that's a different look that we have that we have, because remember last year we had Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart. Those were two guards. They're you know more on the shorter end of 
point guards and shooting guards in college basketball. Trevor Keels is like six, four, and he looked it over, you know, especially when Jeremy Roach was guarding him. So I liked that part. I think the one thing that I would like to see him more, like you said, to be more aggressive, especially going inside to use that size. I do think that part of that is related to the fact that he looks, he was going up for a couple of those layups and, you know, there's a couple of times where Paulo Carroll's there. There's a couple of times where big Mark Williams is there. Yeah. That's hard to do. So uh, I, I get that the, he would struggle. Anyone would struggle inside the paint when you have guys like that there. But I think that's where I want to see him progress more this summer, that aggression, because with his size, he'll be able to do whatever he wants, especially if he can get inside the paint. He's going to be bigger than most point guards and a lot of shooting guards in college basketball, and he can use that size to his advantage. Well, hey, dude, as long as we're talking about point guards and size, I think one of the interesting developments from this was Wendell Moore played point guard the whole time he was on the floor. And, and we think of, you know, last year he started doing that a little bit later in the season. Um, he was playing some point guard for Duke, but it was consistent in this, in this scrimmage video. Uh, you know, like I said, at the very beginning, he and Jeremy Roach were the two guys who were taking the shots. And I think that's because the presumption by Coach K was that those two guys were the two point guards. So they were the ones who were going to pick the teams. And, and then once the game started, Wendell Moore seemed incredibly comfortable initiating the offense. Um, I, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, he could be the backup point guard. He could be the starting point. It's not outside the range of possibilities that he could end up being the starting point guard. Um, I, he's a great defender. He showed that at times. And I thought he seemed like a more confident shooter. His shot, you know, he had games. He had flashes last year um, of games where he was, you know, really confident shooting the ball and took a lot of shots and led the team in scoring. Didn't happen often, but it happened a couple times. Uh, the guy I saw out there in that scrimmage, and admittedly, it's one scrimmage, uh, and he's one of the most experienced players on the floor, probably, you know, second only to Joey Baker in terms of total experience. Uh, in fact, in terms of minutes, he's probably the most experienced guy on the team. Um, so, you know, taking advantage of that. But at the same time, uh, I, I saw a more confident, a more willing to shoot Wendell Moore than I've seen much of his career. And again, I thought his handle and his ability to find teammates looked like a point guard to me. That's going to be important for us, the, that confidence, because he didn't have that last year. And that was part of our struggle and his struggles that he didn't, we kept talking about getting him, you know, a couple of games where he would do great things and showing that confidence and to have that in a position that is, let's be real, is fairly new to him. It's not like he came up as a point guard. It's not like, yeah, we gave him the ball at times last year, but he wasn't our full-time point guard. He was just kind of doing that on spot duties. Now it could be where you, like you said, he did this whole video and he seemed like he was playing point guard the entire time. I will say with the confidence that I saw that I want to see from him day in and day out is towards the end of the video. He had a, a, a run where he was like, Hey, we got two more baskets to win. Or we got three more baskets to win. He grabs the ball. He passes it out. Guy makes a jumper. He's like, all right, guys, we got two more baskets. Then he steals the ball or it, or it gets tipped up in the air. He grabs it, runs down in transition. And instead of passing, he just drains the three and he goes, now we got one more basket to win. That's the, the confidence and you know the you know the amen yeah that's what i want to see from him like the guy that's going to be out there willing his teammates on to saying hey we got to close this closeout time let's go get this let's go pay this rent as they would say uh and let's go out there and finish the game that's the confidence i want to see from Wendell Moore. And, and you know we've been talking about him as a point guard let's talk about the other two point guards just for a moment um I, i'll start with jeremy roach who's widely expected to be 
the starting point guard when the season begins. Uh, you know, I'm not anointing anyone in any position yet, but um, I, I, you know, again, taking off my rose-colored glasses, I thought Roach was somewhat underwhelming. He had some nice moments, but didn't really stand out all that much. Look, it's hard to tell if his shot has improved, uh, you know, very much. This is this is incredibly small sample size. It's edited video. I mean, we're looking at one five-on-five -five scrimmage. Um, but but I, I I didn't see anything that made me go, ooh, you know, oh, that's that's different from Jeremy Roach from what we saw last year. That's a little bit troubling because he was very up and down. There were games where he was outstanding. There were games where he struggled tremendously. Um, and Duke is hoping for more from him as a sophomore. Look, the best thing about freshmen is that some of them <laughs> become sophomores. And, and Jeremy Roach is one of them and, and a guy who is very highly regarded. So, you know, you would expect him as a sophomore to be a pretty darn good player. And then I really wanted to mention about Jalen Blake's um, just, I thought he looked really solid. You know, he, we, we'd seen video of him. He's got wide shoulders, but you could really see it on this video of this practice. You know, this is a guy who physically belongs. Um, he seemed like a very, very willing passer. Didn't see much offensively from him other than that passing, um, but looked like a good fundamental defender. I, you know, I, I didn't see anything that said to me, he's going to play a lot this season, but if he has patience, I think that this guy looks like someone who's going to be a very solid contributor and perhaps starter down the line for Duke, if not this year, in years in the future. Yeah, I agree. And I liked what I saw from him, but it wasn't, again, like you said, it wasn't something where we had to stop the tape and go, oh my goodness, this guy's a player. He's going to be able to grow into that. And he has the fundamentals down. Again, he knew how to get the ball into Mark Williams when he had opportunities to do so. He knew how to kind of work the ball around the perimeter when he had those opportunities. So he obviously has those things down. And it's just a matter of building on that every single day. When it comes to Jeremy Roach, I think his issue is, again, confidence in being able to take on bigger defenders because a lot of the defenders that he's going to encounter are going to be bigger than him. and Yes, he could use his quickness to get around them, but he's going to have to also try to shoot over them. That's where I saw some struggles, uh, especially when he was kind of matched up against Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore kind of blocked a couple of shots uh, for, for him, or at least altered them where the, to the point where I want to see what he can do when someone is bigger than him, has a wide wingspan, how he can work his way around there to keep the offense flowing. Uh, so the only other thing I wanted to mention from this piece of videotape that we had of the five-on-five -five workout uh, it was shot just a, a few days ago and we just got it released recently. Uh, I want to mention Joey Baker because I, I, I didn't go back and, and count exactly. It was just sort of in my head, but I think I saw Joey hit five, three pointers during this scrimmage tape. Um, we saw this last year. <laughs> Joey just needs to start doing it in games, but uh, his stroke, you know, it's a thing of beauty and his teammates were looking for him. It's a thing of beauty. It's great to see. I do want to also note there is a, a couple of things that I, I noticed. One, I heard the name Keith and Worthington quite a bit in this video. Like yeah. he had a couple, he had a couple of shots. Michael Savarino <laughs> hit a couple of threes. You could see kind of, or at least it had a couple of moments in this video. I don't know if you noticed this at the towards the tail end of the video, Jason. There's a guy on the team with the last name Hubbard. And I want to know who that guy is. He's because, one of the team managers. He's a manager. Okay, he's a manager. But I, I like he that got he in the was even, though. It's he got awesome. the scrimmage. I like that even he was involved in this. So that was really cool. Uh, I will note that uh, will note that it, I'm pretty sure that Theo John was not at this scrimmage. Correct. Yeah. What what yeah. they said was uh, Theo John was not there. The, the transfer from Marquette um, because he had a class. He's taking summer school at Duke. Um, he's in grad school, I believe. 
And, right. and uh, you know, grad school has a little more rigorous schedule at times. Um, than and they've already started. For a yeah, lot of people exactly. out there, like, of course, like undergrads won't start until probably the end of August. A lot of grad school programs will start towards the end of July. Sam, that'd be one where Sam would tell you more than anything that summer school is a thing uh, in graduate school. Right. And and so Theo John couldn't participate um, because uh, because of the grad school thing. But it was kind of funny. Duke Blue Planet released a quick little video of him. Uh, I think after they released this video, people were like, where's Theo? Where, where's Theo John? And so they released a little video of him going, don't worry, I'm fine. Yeah. He's <laughs> I like, I'm class. I'm going to cool. class. Cool. Look, look, this is, he's like, look, this is my class. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, by the way, completely separate note, but Donald, I, I did want to make note of this talking about class. Uh, did you see that Duke set an all time ACC record 615 Blue Devil at student athletes? were named to the ACC academic honor roll. That means that they had a GPA of 3.0 or higher. 615 Duke student athletes made the ACC honor roll. That is an all-time ACC record. Wow, what an impressive, amazing feat by the Duke athletic department and by these athletes. Um, Duke, by the way, of course, setting a record, Duke led the ACC in honor roll selections this year. Notre Dame was second. Um, 593, about 20 less than Duke, then a big drop down to Virginia. It was only in the 400s. UNC was in the mid 400s. Um, and again, Duke had 615. Duke has led the conference in the number of student athletes making the honor roll in 33 of the past 34 years. The reason Theo John was at class is because at Duke, the athletes go to class and they study and they get good grades. And it's just really, really impressive to, to hear something like that, uh, to set an all-time ACC record for, um, for athletes achieving the honor roll. Uh, I mean, for me, the question is, uh, there were 615, you, you said, that made the honor roll. Why wasn't it 616? I mean, what happened? Did they, did they, did they talk to a couple of the students and say, hey, hey, hold back so that we can improve on this record? Because uh, by my count, 616 athletes, that's damn near almost everybody. <laughs> that is that is considered a student athlete at Duke University. So that is a job well done for everyone. I, 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 you know, it's great to see your peers do well. It's even better when they also are excelling on the field and in the classroom. So it's really, really cool to see that many students. That's just an unfathomable number. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Team USA is in some trouble. They need Coach K. <laughs> We'll talk all about what's going on with the U.S. Olympic team piling up the losses when we come back from this quick commercial break. All right, so we're back. We want to just quickly, um, this isn't a big Duke kind of thing, but it's an important basketball kind of thing. Uh, the Team USA. Um, the, the American Olympic team getting ready for the, for the Olympic Games in just a couple weeks had some scrimmages this week. Scrimmages did not go well. You probably heard about this. They played Nigeria. They lost to Nigeria. They then played Australia. They lost to Australia. <laughs> That's right. Back-to-back -back losses for Team USA. These are just exhibitions, but it's not like they weren't trying at all. Um, they then turned around and, and they beat Argentina. Um, a, a badly outmatched Argentina team. But uh, th th this is very troubling. There are a lot of people who are now saying, you know, 
this team led by Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard and Jason Tatum, people are saying this team probably is an underdog to win the gold medal. Now they're, they're no longer the favorites because of how they've looked in these first couple scrimmages. And boy, the number of people who are saying they need coach K <laughs> Greg Popovich, the coach of the U S Olympic team has lost four out of five games. If you go back to the, the uh, FIBA world cup, he lost two out of the last three games at the FIBA world cup. He lost his first two exhibitions. He lost four out of five games. I think coach K lost a grand total of like two games in his entire, like tw- one game. It was one game, one game, one and game in his 12 years or 16. one game. That was a, that was a semifinal in 2004 in the world cup, yeah. in a world cup. And he tried to, res- as we learned at the press conference, he tried to resign right then and there and they wouldn't let him do it. He then went on to go 79 and one. So that that's the, the throughout his career. So yeah, this is a, it's a big deal because it's the United States and it's basketball. This is our sport. This is the one sport that we're always dominant at. And I mean, the people are even coming out with the memes of like the 2018 eating at a Wendy's at a, at a gas station. And then the next day they go out and beat some team by 50. Like that is what people expect from USA men's basketball, women's basketball. It, by the way, crushing it. Don't need to worry yeah. about them. They will, yeah. they will be fine. Uh, but when it comes to this, a lot of the teams, I mean, Nigeria has big Jaya Okafor on there, also has Michael Benege on, on Nigeria. So And, and a bunch of other, of other NBA guys. I mean, like one of the things yeah. that as you watch these games, one of the things that, that should occur to you is it's not the USA playing a bunch of nobodies. We played nobodies when we played Argentina. There was I looked at that Argentina roster. I was like, I don't recognize any of these names. But yeah, like, like Luis Scola, I think, is like 40 years old. And still yeah, exactly. Play. Right. But when we played... When we played Australia, they got Patty Mills. They got Joe Ingles. They got Matisse Taible. I mean, uh, that dude, by the way, uh, second team All-NBA defender. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, plays for Australia. I mean, this Australian team was really good, and the Nigerian team is full of former NBA uh, – full of, sorry, current NBA players, um, uh, you know, not necessarily folks who – there a lot of them are people who have like Nigerian parents. It's kind of a, a funky thing going on. Like Jalil Okafor is not a guy who spent a lot of time in Nigeria, but he's suiting up for him and playing pretty well. I mean, for Australia, can we, is this the point where we say that they're better addition by subtraction by not having Ben Simmons? It might be a yeah. better team. Is this, yeah. the, is, I'm just trying to make sure that's the point that we insert that into the conversation. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, like that is the thing is 10 years ago, we'd be playing teams and you would have no idea who half these guys are. Now people are going to tune into these Olympics and they're going to see, doesn't matter if it's the U S versus someone else, it could be two different teams, but you're going to see players that you have seen on a regular basis in the NBA play or in the past in the NBA. Cause of course, a lot of guys will play in the NBA and then return to their home countries to play basketball or, or go somewhere in Europe. So these aren't terrible losses in the psyche of, Hey, we're playing nobodies and we got beat by scrubs. That's not the case, but it is concerning because for the U S we are used to dominating everyone we see on the basketball court, both the men and the women. And when the men aren't holding up their end, people, people panic, especially when they're exhibition games. Now they have two lefts. They play Australia again, and then they play Spain before they head over to Japan. Those are two very big tests. But at that point, that Spain game, they could have the guys back from the NBA finals. We have Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, who are not obviously not yet on the team because they're playing in, in the NBA finals. So the question for them is just, 
consistency and chemistry. Can they get it together? Because if they're if the chemistry's there, we'll be fine. That's what Pop has to work on. But right now, it doesn't look good because these guys clearly seem like they just got on a basketball court with each other a few days ago. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that I noticed, I haven't watched a lot of these games, but the, the bits that I've watched, the ball movement, you know, the like, oh, I know where my teammate is without even thinking about it. That kind of thing is not there yet for them. And that it takes time to put that together. And a lot of these international teams, it, just because they played together for longer, um, they, they have that advantage. And it's a really tough, you know, it's one thing when your talent is overwhelmingly better. But as we've discussed, the U.S. talent is not overwhelmingly better against a lot of these teams. And when it's not, the fact that they've played together and we haven't is a real problem for us. And that, by the way, is something that Coach K recognized and took care of. He asked, he said to these players, these NBA superstars, you're making a commitment to me. You're going to play for multiple years. We're going to practice during the summer. You know, you guys are going to get to know each other. And as a result, they were kicking butt in the Olympics when the, when the time came. And, and now we're seeing the impact of not having that, that system in place. The, the one analogy I want to bring into this is soccer. Of course, I'm, I'm a soccer guy. When it comes to the World Cup, that's not the first time that, that the U.S. men's national team or the U.S. women's national team has played together. They have friendlies. They have competitions year-round, and they play consistently. It's built into the schedule. It's built into the professional schedule. Correct. Teams have, take a break so that players can play for their national team. Correct. And with this, with basketball, we don't have that. It's only during the summer they obviously are not breaking during the NBA season to go play U.S. versus Canada or U.S. versus Mexico or something like that. They only have the summer. And so this right here, the first couple of games, it felt like an all-star game type of feel where, yes, you have some of the best players on the court, but they have not played together. They have not, they have been in the locker room with each other for a couple of days and they were playing like it was the NBA all-star game, which is very exciting, but it's not team basketball it is a bunch of just, you know, pass the ball around and trying to get that feel for them. What coach K did was he took 12 individuals and turned them into a team, 12 mega stars and turned them into a team. Yep. That's what Greg Popovich has to do. And really, we don't have a lot of time to do it because, like you said, they haven't been doing this the last couple of summers. They've only got these last couple of weeks and they have to get it together quickly. And that is their that is what it is. Time is running up against them. And these teams aren't taking the day off because the Team USA just got together. They're not going to roll over and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll make this a nice little practice, you know, cardio, cardio exercise. They're coming out to win. They're coming out to beat us because everyone knows beating the United States is a big deal. That's what these guys need to recognize very quickly. And, you know, it's become abundantly clear to me, even though everyone wants the big superstars to be on the team, what we, what USA basketball should have done is a year ago, heck two years ago for the, for the world championships, they should have said, okay, you know, let's find 12 guys, 15 guys, something like that, you know, have a couple maybe in reserve it doesn't even matter if they are the 12 or 15 best players in the NBA. We've got to go down to guys who are only top 20, top 25 or so, but we're putting them together as a team. They're going to start playing now and they're going to play together for a couple of years. That would, if, if you did that, we'd be winning these games with ease. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't even be a competition, but because like you say, because we're doing this kind of all-star game kind of throw them together at the last minute, it's a big problem. And by the way, I want folks to look out for one other thing. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to see these games, the USA is getting killed on the boards. 
That is not something we've seen in the past from, from USA basketball teams. We got out-rebounded by, um, by Nigeria, 46 to 34. That's like a, that's a butt kicking on the boards. The USA only had seven offensive rebounds against Nigeria. Nigeria had 13 offensive rebounds in that game. Against Australia, we got out-rebounded 32 to 25. There was not a single player on Team USA who had more than four rebounds. And meanwhile, for Australia, noted basketball superstars, Jock Landale and Nick Kay. I'm sure you've heard of Jock Landale and Nick Kay, right? Don't? Good. Who are these guys? By the way, Jock, <laughs> Jock Landale, that's like the most Australian name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> is it J-O-C-Q-U-E or is it? No, it's J-O-C-K. It's Jock. <laughs> oh, Jock, like a Jock strap. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Jock Landale and Nick Kay, the big men for Australia, had 16 rebounds between the two of them. Again, that's almost the total that all of Team USA had. This is a problem. They've got to they, they got to get better on the boards. They got to board as a team. And then on that note, they go when they entered their group play at the Olympics. They're in a group with Iran, France, and Czech Republic. But France, of course, you know what that means. That means Rudy Gobert, only you know one of the best defenders in the NBA and one of the best rebounders in the NBA, is going to be staring them in the face. They're going to have to be able to compete with that. Iran has a couple guys that are over seven feet that can also rebound that have seen limited like you know european experience this is going to be something that they're going to need to figure out very quickly because again these teams are not going to take the day off when they when they come up against the united states they're only going to work that much harder france is really good by the way they are a definite metal contender um and i you know a week ago i wouldn't have said this but at this point i'll say it i won't be shocked if the usa falls to france in group play i don't think the u.s has ever dropped a game in group play in in the olympics but it could easily happen with the way things are going right now. I hope, I hope that pop can fix it. I agree. Uh, I, I think there's still time. And honestly, I don't care what people say. The U S is still the favorite because we're the U S but they have to play like that. Uh, and that's the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing over these last couple of games as they go to Tokyo. Yep. And we'll be paying attention to it and keeping up with it, but that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition. Number three, two, seven, of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. That was Donald Wine talking to me. I'm Jason Evans. Sam Klein will be back with us very, very soon. We got more NBA draft previews coming your way. We got a special episode again with Jay Billis um, uh, talking about DJ Stewart. And we also have one with Jay where we're going to talk all about Jalen Johnson. Dukies in the NBA draft. That's one of our big focuses coming up in the next few days. We'll have those for you. For Donald, again, I'm Jason. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you write to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Until you do, we will sign off. And here's the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.